I'm Tim Tsang. I hope you are staying safe. In celebration of Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, I'm delighted to reflect with you about pan-ethnicity, Christian faith, and the AAPI experience. I first encountered pan-ethnicity in the mid-1980s as a young pastor and seminarian. I got involved with the Asian American Baptist Caucus, which brought together different Asians to fight for greater voice and representation within the American Baptist denomination. Also, uh, within the denomination, the impressive growth of Evergreen Baptist Church in L.A. was seen as an innovative new kind of church, one that wasn't limited to its Japanese-American ethnicity. Evergreen was one of the first pan-ethnic Asian-American churches. Sociologists define pan-ethnicity to be when different ethnic or tribal groups cooperate, organize, and build institutions and identities across ethnic boundaries. So let's take a look at Asian and Pacific Islander pan-ethnicity in U.S. history. As we do this, I want to uh, connect pan-ethnicity to scripture. I'll also share three lenses through which Asians uh, have been viewed by Americans and continue to be viewed. One, imposed pan-ethnicity. Two, assimilated non-ethnicity. And three, reformist pan-ethnicity. During the height of Euro-American global dominance in the 19th and mid-20th centuries, the U.S. grouped native tribes and enslaved populations into racial pan-ethnic categories, namely American Indians and Negroes. Asian immigrants were also lumped together as Orientals. These racial categories and hierarchies were sanctioned by many leading scientists at the time. Scientific legitimacy justified segregationist laws and normalized white supremacy. Jim and Jane Crow and the nefarious legacy of racial segregation was a direct result of imposed pan-ethnicity. Exclusionary, uh, exclusionary immigration laws initially targeted Chinese laborers in the late 19th century, but quickly became pan-ethnic in the early 20th century, as Japanese, South Asians, and Filipinos were also excluded. In 1982, the white men who murdered Vincent Chin were lashing out against Japanese auto manufacturers and did not care that Chin was not Japanese. And within the last few months, there have been more than 1,500 incidences of anti-Asian racism in the wake of COVID-19. Anyone who looks Asian has been attacked. In imposed pan-ethnicity, ethnic subgroups did not choose to be identified with each other, but they were and are being lumped together, stereotyped, excluded, subordinated, and even attacked by those in power. We see a similar type of imposed pan-ethnicity in scripture. After the Babylonian exile ended, the people of Israel in Judea and the Jewish diaspora became obsessed with protecting and purifying their national and religious identities. Post-exilic Zionists during Jesus' times and American white nationalists share a religious sentiment that seeks separation from others. In addition to elevating themselves as God's chosen people, non-Jewish people were lumped together as Gentiles and non-white people were lumped together as inferior races. So imposed pan-ethnicity is at the heart of racism and religious bigotry. Let's now look at assimilated non-ethnicity. Assimilated non-ethnicity has roots in Christian mission. Led by the Holy Spirit, the early believers very quickly realized that God truly welcomed Gentiles into his kingdom. The church was to be a pan-ethnic people. But this led to a major debate. Jewish traditionalists within the church welcomed Gentiles, but insisted that they be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. They implied that the Gentiles had to suppress their cultural distinctions. Other leaders, such as Paul and Peter, argued that these requirements were not necessary. 
This debate, which lies at the heart of most of Paul's letters in the New Testament, fueled an identity crisis in the early church that parallels the historical and contemporary debates over how Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders ought to fit into the United States. The traditionalists in the early church were like political liberals and most Christians in the U.S. Explicitly or implicitly, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders are required to meet certain expectations before becoming fully welcomed into the American church and the body politic. First of all, they have been and are encouraged to erase their foreignness, their ethnicities, their cultures, their languages and communities. They are then expected to conform to white normality. Those who assimilate are celebrated as model minorities. Now, originally, this vision of assimilated non-ethnicity uh, was an anti-racist anti opposition to imposed pan-ethnicity. Uh, they argued that second-generation immigrants, Christian converts in particular, would eventually give up their undesirable foreign traits and become good Christian American citizens. After the 1924 Immigration Act, which banned all immigration from Asia and most immigrants from Europe, American Protestant home missionary agencies eventually abandoned their support of ethnic-specific ministries. Their leaders assumed that Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders would inevitably integrate into mainstream congregations. In the early 1960s, for example, the Japanese Methodist Conference was eliminated. Japanese American Methodists were reassigned to regional judicatories within the United Methodist Church. Assimilated non-ethnicity envisioned a colorblind unity within the church and in the nation. But as, have, as we have seen in the Acts of the Apostles, this vision of an assimilated non-ethnicity imposed a tremendous burden on Gentile believers. In the U.S., it diminished anything of value in ethnicity. It disempowered Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders and did little to challenge racial inequity. Furthermore, it perpetuated the notion that white America and Western culture defined authentic Christianity. Returning again to the Acts of the Apostles, we discover the presence of what I'll call a reformist pan ethnicity, which I'll attribute to Paul. During his first missionary journey, Paul and his associates uh, shared the gospel to both Jews and non-Jews in Antioch, Cyprus, and Southern Asia Minor. As diverse Gentiles welcomed the gospel, Paul decided not to burden them with the Mosaic regulations, including circumcision. By the time Paul met the Jew Jewish uh, traditionalists at the Jerusalem Council, in Acts 15, he had rallied Gentile and Jewish believers to his gospel of grace and freedom. This perhaps reflects an emergent Gentile pan-ethnicity within the early church. The Jerusalem Council's subsequent decision to not burden Gentile believers with circumcision and Mosaic customs changed the course of the history of the church. From this point on, when, wherever the gospel was proclaimed, new believers could retain their cultural distinctives and languages without the expectation of heavy-handed assimilation. Which brings us to AAPI panethnicity today. Sociologists have noted that panethnicity has more recently become a choice. Since the 1960s, uh, immigrant groups who have entered host societies with regional, national origin, and language differences have come together and developed panethnic identities. Rejecting imposed panethnicity and the white normality of assimilationists, uh, AAPIs have built political alliances and cultural coalitions that have created space and empowerment. At the heart of this new panethnicity is a reformist vision, a vision for racial equity and diversity, a vision that arguably finds its roots in Pentecost and the welcoming of the Gentiles into the church. 
By building alliances between different subgroups, reformist pan-ethnicity also has the potential of creating new expressions of cultural identities that, um, that can collectively renew and transform ethnicities. And as these new expressions intersect with American culture, uh, there is also the promise that AAPIs, along with other people of color, can recast a democratic vision of an American identity that's not rooted in the ugly legacy of white supremacist Christian nationalism. I also believe that a reformist uh, panethnicity is crucial for the spiritual health and formation of AAPI Christians. A disembodied spirituality that ignores our communal histories and identities will not only lead to Gnostic heresy, but also result in mere mimicry of dominant Christianity in America. On the other hand, an exclusively ethnic spirituality can lock us into dead traditionalism. A reformist pan-ethnic spirituality encourages us to seek out and embrace other AAPI stories while intersecting with a wider church and nation. This may be the key for Asian American and Pacific Islander Christians to better respond to the spirit's leading into new and creative vistas. The fastest growing population in the United States are Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. AAPIs are also getting more opportunities to participate and to lead in Christian organizations than ever before. As we celebrate AAPI Heritage Month, I pray that my fellow believers will work for opportunities to build friendships, to build political alliances and spiritual communities across our ethnic language, generational and gender divides. I pray that we will resist the lure of assimilated non-ethnicity and the temptation to appease white normality. We need each other. We need a pan-ethnic vision if American Christianity is to be revived. Above all, we need the Lord Jesus to lead us.